Yeah, I, I never cease to be amazed at how, how wonderful it is and, and how this time during the week is my favorite time to gather with my church family and, and worshiping the mighty king. Uh, what a great privilege it is uh, to be a part of this. This morning, we have the privilege of having uh, Eric Bain with us. Eric is from uh, the northern part of Flathead Lake, which is northern Montana, which is real close to where Reed and Sika are, probably a half hour, 45 minutes. Um, Eric is uh, a part of BGW. He has been walking us through our capital campaign and walking with us. Uh, he is a church planter. Um, has founded Genesis Project, which is a church planning organization, is passionate about reaching the least of these. That's one of the things I really appreciate about him and, and some of his uh, creative ways that he has uh, impacted uh, least of these communities in uh, throughout this country. Um, I'm excited to have uh, him here this morning. Eric, would you come? And I want to pray for you, and then we'll, uh, we'll turn you loose this morning. Father God, I, I thank you for my brother. Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing through him. Uh, I thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that, uh, that you've given him. And Lord, just his heart uh, to, to, to raise up uh, leaders, uh, to, to go into places and, and um, just bring the light of Jesus there. Lord, I pray this morning as he presents uh, the word to us, uh, Lord, the words that you've given him, that, that our hearts will be open to receiving and, um, and Lord, being challenged and changed uh, by your spirits. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, good morning. Let me say that again, good morning. Uh, this is one of the biggest first services that I've seen in a long time. What's wrong with you folks? How many early risers here? Can I see your hands, early risers? Yeah. Uh, I am now an early riser, though uh, that's not always been the case. Um, and it is really a privilege for me to be here with you. I'm so excited to be able to share this morning. Uh, last night, I was staying in Orville and, uh, with a friend. And this morning, got up to come here to, to Fairlawn to speak and uh, did what I normally do. I punched your address into my telephone uh, because I drive not by sight. I drive by faith. And that is the faith that that little device is going to get me here. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, you remember the day when we used to use maps? Some of you know what a map is. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, so I punched the address in this morning, and it could not figure out where I was. Uh, that's because I was in Orville, I imagine. And so it kept driving me around the streets and around the streets and around the streets, and I reset my phone and, and everything. And then all of a sudden, I got a sheer panic. Because here you live in a place where everything is flat. You have no mountains. I don't know where north, south, east, and west is. Because in Montana, I can tell you where I'm at because I just look up and I can see the mountain range. And all of a sudden, I realized this was like a bad dream stuck in Oroville. And that somehow I might not be able to get out of this. And I thought, what am I going to do? Because, you know, I didn't know to stop for directions or do I call Pastor Dwayne and say, where am I at, you know? And... And uh, finally, I got another app, realized I had another app on my phone, and it got me here. But as it was guiding me here, I kept doubting the phone. Have you ever doubted the directions of the telephone, wondering, it, this possibly can't be right? And then when I saw the church, I realized I was home. And the first words out of my mouth were, thank you, Jesus. Um, 
you are in the midst of a capital campaign. And you guys are looking to expand your children's facility and make room for junior high and other children, and, and you need the space. And on April 7th, you're going to gather together, and right now, as a church body, you have been fasting and you've been praying. I hope you've been fasting. I hope you've been praying about what God would have you do in the midst of this capital campaign. What would he have you commit to over the next three years? What, what part will you play? What role will you play in, in, in this capital campaign? You have uh, commitment cards at home, and those commitment cards, you've been praying over, and on April 7th, you're going to bring them here in a celebration, and you're going to add that up, and, and over the next three years, you're going to journey. But I, I'm here to tell you, this is just the start of the journey. It's not the end of the journey. Uh, the older I get, the more I realize that God really is in control of the journey. How many of you understand that? You know, you think you're guiding the way, but God says, I have a plan for you, and, and I will guide the way. And the older I get, the more I realize that I've really not guided my steps that much. Um, I have a 22-year-old daughter. She just got home last night from spring break. She's just about ready to graduate. Uh, she continually reminds me that I'm old. And uh, she says, Dad, you and Mom are so old. And uh, last night she was texting me on the airplane as she was coming back. And she said, Dad, you're really not that old. And, and I was shocked. And she said, Dad, you dress cool. You're a cool dad. I, dad, I really love you. Dad, you know, you're the greatest. And I realized something. Yeah, I, I saw that laugh right over here. You know what she was wanting? She was wanting some money. <laughs> and I realized I'm being played right now. And I realize that, you know, right now, I have more years behind me than I have in front of me. And as John Wesley said, that great theologian, he says, I judge all things by the price that they shall gain in eternity. In other words, what John was saying is he said, I'm not looking at the here and now. I'm looking at the then and there. I'm living my life not for to please an audience here. I'm living my life to please an audience of one. I'm moving towards the direction of heaven. And everything that I do here, every dime that I give, every breath that I take, everything that I do here, I do for an audience of one to please him. And I want to make sure that I'm pleasing him in all that I do. So I look at eternity and I judge all things here by the price that they shall gain in eternity. If you have your Bibles, we're in 1 Corinthians. It's a passage of uh, scripture that we're going to stay in this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, or chapter 3, excuse me. And we're going to be in this passage this morning uh, for a little bit of time. Uh, it starts off with this. I'm going to begin in verse 5. It's up on the screens as well. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Paul says this, After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? And then he says this, We are only servants, uh, we are only servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. Paul says in verse 6, I planted the seed in your hearts, but Apollo watered it. But it was God who made it grow. Verse 7, it is not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What is important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters works together for the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Verse 9, for we are both God's workers and you are God's field. And then he goes on to say, you are God's building. 
He said, what, in other words, he said, I, I'm doing a work and, and Apollos is doing a work, but it's God really does the work. And he says, you and I are God's building. God is building something in you and I, and he's growing us up. In other words, what Paul was saying is we need to look towards eternity and we need to judge this life by what it shall gain in eternity. In other words, I've got news for you here today. This life doesn't last forever. In fact, all of us one day will have a destiny with death. When I was younger, I used to like to go to the graveyards, uh, and I noticed that you have a lot of them around here, and there are great tombstones, and I love to read the epitaphs on those tombstones. And, and I love to see the date in which people were born and the date in which they died and the things that were said on those tombstones. I don't do that anymore. It's a little too close to home, so I don't go there any longer, but, but I used to enjoy doing that. And, and it reminds me something every time I pass a graveyard, which you have a lot, that one day that will be my destiny, that one day I too will go the same way that my ancestors have gone, and I too will be at home with the Lord. But what God is asking is, what am I doing now? Linda Ellis wrote a great poem. It's called The Dash. And this is how the poem goes. She said, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of her birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth. And now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the house, the cars, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things that you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is still left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real and always try to consider the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud about the things they say? about how you spent your dash. Uh, I did not grow up in a Christian family. My mom and dad were alcoholics. And when I was about 12 years old, 13 years old, they moved to a little town in Arizona called Coolidge, Arizona. It was in that town of Coolidge, Arizona, in the middle of my junior high year that I was uh, attending junior high there in Coolidge, that I, I met a young man. His name was Rick. Rick had also moved there at the same time that I moved. We had moved there weeks apart because Rick's grandfather had passed away and he came there to be with his grandmother. I knew nothing about Christ. I knew nothing about the Bible. We did not go to church. We were not a family that was raised in church. Uh, in fact, my family was a family that was prone to violence and alcoholism and drug addiction. And I still to this day remember being underneath my bed with my brothers and my father having a loaded revolver to my mother's head and not sure whether she would be alive the next morning when we woke up. That was the environment of which I grew up in. And I found myself in this little junior high place in Coolidge, Arizona, meeting this guy by the name of Rick. And one day Rick came to school and he said, Eric, did you know that there is a Jesus and that there is a God? And I said, I, I didn't know that. And he said, and that one day Jesus is going to come again. And, 
and I said, Jesus is going to come. Who is Jesus and all this? And Rick tried to share this with me, and I, I really didn't know what Rick was saying, and Rick really didn't know what he was saying. He said, I don't know really any of this. My grandmother just told me this, and she told me this yesterday, so I'm telling this to you today. And he said, would you like to know more about that? And I said, I think I would. And he said, why don't you come on over to my house because my grandmother makes apple pie. So what 13-year-old is not going to say no to apple pie? So I said, man, I'm coming over for apple pie. And I went over, and I met this short little five-foot-one lady, 76 years old. Her name was Ina Sproul. And, and Ina had this wonderful apple pie made, and then she made some other food for us. And we ate together, and after we finished eating, Ina turned to me and she said, I hear you'd like to know more about Jesus. And I said, yes, and, and Ina opened the Bible, and she began to share with this 13-year-old little boy, she began to share uh, about Jesus and the miracles that he did. And, 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 and it was so captivating to me that she said, would you like to come over next Tuesday, and I'll share some more, and I'll make another apple pie. And so she made another apple pie, and I went over the following Tuesday, and, and she again opened the Bible, and she shared with me the truths in the Bible, and, and, and I, I had never heard anything like that in my life. And then the following Tuesday, I came over, and her name was Ina, and I eventually started calling her Grandma, and Grandma just basically started feeding me into the kingdom of heaven. And, and one day, Grandma asked me, would you like to make Jesus the Lord of your life? I'll, I'll never forget that day when I knelt down and I invited God to take over the leadership of my life. I was 13 years old. And, and, and it, was like, it was like lightning that had hit me and there was something that was happening inside of me. And I, and I was so grateful that I could have a life that was so completely different than the family that I was raised in. That somehow somebody cared enough about me to bring me back home. I was 13 years old when I said yes to Jesus. The following weekend, I was in church in the church that Ina went to. It was a little church of 20 people. That was all that was there. Uh, they were all over the age of 70. Rick and I were the only two young people in the church. Everybody else was over the age of 70. They did not have a pastor. The pastor would drive from Phoenix, Arizona to Coolidge, Arizona, and he would come there once a month to speak. And the other three weekends, they had the head elder speak. And so the head elder came up to me that Sunday and he said, I understand you just gave your life to Jesus. And I said, I did. And he said, that's wonderful. You're speaking next week for the service. I was 13 years old. I said, I'm doing what? He said, you're giving the sermon next week. And I said, well, I, I don't know anything about the Bible. And he said, that's okay. He said, I'm the head elder, and I don't want to preach anymore, so you're preaching. So the following weekend, I got up 13 years old. I had just been saved for one week. I'll never forget my message. It was on Moses and the whale. Some of you haven't caught that yet. Uh, you know, and, and I preached this, this rousing sermon on Moses and the whale. I quoted out of the book of Job. You know, I love palms. Some of my favorite books of the Bible. And, and I remember when I was done, I came down and, and, and this little lady, she came up to me and she said, that was one of the most unusual and best messages I've ever heard. And she said, but I don't think it was Moses. I think it was Jonah. And I was like, oh, okay. So it was Jonah. And then she said, and, and, and it wasn't Job. It was Job. And I'm like, well, it's spelled Job. And she said, yeah, but it's Job. And, and she said, you'll, do, you'll even do better next week. And the next week I got up and I preached again and I preached again and I preached again. For four years I preached every weekend at that little church 
And all of a sudden, you know, these, these people couldn't hear anything anyway, so it didn't really matter. They'd adjust their hearing aids, and, you know, if I'd say something wrong, you'd hear squeals, and they'd look at each other, and most of them were asleep anyway. So, you know, I just, but, man, I love Jesus with all of my heart, and that little church, I was their only mission project. I, that, that was it. They were like, we finally got one, and we're going to make sure that this one is going to turn out. And, man, they poured absolutely everything into me. Uh, we later moved to Florence, Arizona, and uh, to get to church, I'd have to ride my bike 13 miles, and I'd ride my bike 13 miles, and then I'd stay at Grandma's house, and Grandma just simply loved me. That church became the family that I never had. And I stand here today at 56 years old in Ohio at Fairlawn Mennonite Church, and I cannot believe that I'm here. Pinch me. I've had the privilege of being a pastor of two churches, one in Seattle and one in Portland, Oregon, and I've had the privilege of watching thousands of people accept Christ. In Portland, Oregon, we started something very unique. We, we got a hotel. Uh, we bought a hotel in Portland, Oregon as a church plant. And we only had 40 people at the time. But something that that little church in Coolidge, Arizona taught me, that little church in Coolidge, Arizona taught me that it didn't matter whether it was a place of small beginnings. What mattered is the size of my God, that I could do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. And they made me memorize scriptures like my God is all sufficient in my life. They made me memorize scriptures. My, my very first scripture, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. For in my, you know this, in my Father's house are many mansions. And I go there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself. And, and those scriptures wrapped around me and, and they molded my life forward into being who I am today. They've molded me into being a pastor. And, and when we had these 40 people in Portland, Oregon, I said, we're going to go buy a hotel and, and it's a dilapidated hotel and we're going to fix this up and we're going to see thousands of people come to know Christ and we're going to run this 167 unit hotel and we're going to take the money from this hotel and we're going to feed it back into social service work in Portland. This was June of 2003, and we had no money. But somehow in June of 2003, we wrote a business plan, took up a $7,000 offering, and God, in June of 2003, he allowed us to acquire three and a half acres of property in Portland, Oregon, and start a church. We started a church with 40 people, and we remodeled this hotel. And very shortly after that, a year after that, we went from one service to two, from two services to three, from three services to four, to five weekend services. And we were in a tough part of Portland, Oregon. The reality is, as we remodeled that, God did an amazing job there. As people from the neighborhood who never used to attend church started coming, we had prostitutes that would attend church. We had six prostitutes that would come in on Sunday morning, and they would sit on the front row. And these prostitutes gave their life to Jesus. And we'd baptize people in the swimming pool. We had the largest baptismal pool in the state of Oregon, 35,000 gallons. And people would give their life, and we'd baptize them out there, and guests of the hotel would receive Christ. We took the money from the hotel, and we opened the largest family shelter in America that doesn't receive government support called My Father's House. We had a drug and alcohol recovery program. Uh, we had a job training program. We had a counseling center. We had a 24-hour prayer center. Uh, we started seven church campuses. But the best part of the whole story 
is 3,000 people came from around the world and checked into a hotel that they thought was a hotel that really wasn't a hotel. It really was the church. And 3,000 people checked into the hotel and made a first-time decision to follow Jesus Christ. 3,000 people prayed a sinner's prayer to say, I want Jesus into my life. And I look back at this and I think to myself, where would all of this been had a, had a little 76-year-old woman not had the faith to do what God called her to do and to pour into a 13-year-old boy that most people would have said is hopeless and comes from the wrong side of the tracks. I stand here as a product of people who are over 70 years old, 20 people over the age of 70 who couldn't hear, but who fashioned a young man to speak in the pulpit and share the gospel because they believed in me. Fairlawn, you are getting ready to embark on the building of a children's center, the building of a place where more 13-year-olds can receive Christ. And I want to tell you that this is not a vision just for you. This is a vision long into your future, long after you go. And, and listen, you may invest in this, and you don't know who you are investing in. You could be investing in the next Billy Graham. You don't know what could come from this. But the reality is I do know this, that any time we invest into the kingdom of God, any time we put our resources there, God does not let those resources go to waste. I have three thoughts for you this morning as I, as I come here. Three thoughts that I want to share with you uh, about your future and about some things that I sense God sharing. Number one is this. God gives every single one of us an assignment. God gives every single one of us an assignment. It's a God-given assignment. Can you say with me this morning, God gives me an assignment? Say that with me. God gives me an assignment. Say it again. God gives me an assignment. In 1 Corinthians, we see these words from Paul as he writes this. Each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. Paul said, my job was to plant the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. In 1 Corinthians uh, 3, verse 10, it says this, Because of God's special favor to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. In other words, what Paul was saying is, I know the work that God called me to do. And the reality is God has called every single one of us in this room to something. And the reality is you will not be happy till you find the destiny and the purpose and the assignment to which God has called you. Now, I've been pastoring for 29 years, and the reality is God has us all doing different assignments, and my assignment is not more important than your assignment. The reality is that we can't be looking at somebody over here saying, if I just could do his assignment, or if I could just do Pastor Dwayne's assignment, or if God would just give me Pastor Eric's assignment. God says, let me give you the assignment that I give you, and you are to fulfill the assignment that I give you. God has an assignment for this church. God has an assignment for this community. And the reality is we need to discover what that assignment is. And, and so often we're not happy till we find that, as, that assignment. Maybe God's called you to build a, a business. And maybe you're operating that business. That is, that's God's assignment for you. Mom, maybe you have three children at home. That's God's assignment for you. But whatever God's assignment is for you, we need to do it with all of our heart and all of our might because God's working something inside of us. And I believe that God has an assignment here for you. And the purpose for that assignment is, is that you've got to find it, you've got to fulfill it, because the reality is one day this ends. I love what Paul says in Ephesians here. In Ephesians verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, 
He says, for we are God's masterpiece. That word masterpiece in the Greek is poema. In other words, what, this, what Paul is saying is we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us a long time ago. This word poema is, in other words, what God is doing is he's writing a poem in your life. And, and, and that poem that he's writing in your life, he, says, he wants you to fulfill. My adopted grandmother, Ina Sproul, she fulfilled her assignment. Her assignment down towards the end of her life was to take a 13-year-old boy and to fashion him and to simply do nothing more than to love him. And Ina knew how to make great apple pie, and so Ina would feed me right into the kingdom of heaven. And she knew her assignment, and she did her assignment well because she was a beautiful poem that God had written. The sad part today is, did you know that in many graveyards around America is unreleased potential? So many people that have passed away that have never reached the potential that God has for them. Songs that could have been written, uh, books that could have been written, sermons that could have been preached, meals that could have been made, uh, a difference in the community that could have happened, but instead we didn't realize our God-given assignment and we just let it pass away. Point number one for Fairlawn is that God has given you an assignment. The question is, are you finishing that assignment to which he's called you? Point number two is this. Point number two is that God expects and inspects all of our assignments. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says these words, each one of us will be clearly shown, or each one's work will be clearly shown for what it is. For the day of judgment will disclose it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and that fire will test the quality and the character of the work of each person's work. Verse 14, if any person's work, which he has built on this foundation that is any outcome of his effort remains and survives this test, he will receive a reward. But if any person's work is burned up by the test, he will suffer the loss of his reward. Yet he himself will be saved, but only as one who barely escaped through the fire. In other words, what Paul is saying is that each one of us are going to face a day of judgment. And the work and the assignment that you and I have been given will be revealed in heaven. It's not by the buildings that we built. It's by the people that we take with us. And one day, I believe that I'm going to stand on the sea of uh, 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 the, the glassy seas of heaven underneath the tree of life, and I believe that I'm going to see my grandmother again. And I believe that one day God's going to come before me, and he's going to say to, to Ina, he's going to say, look, look at these people that are in heaven because you cared enough to give to a 13-year-old boy. See, each of us, our work will be revealed in heaven. The reality is the way we get to our assignments so often is through fiery trials. And, and the reality is God takes each of us through the, through the tests and the trials of life. I love Psalm chapter 23. I, I love, that was another passage that I memorized when I was young. That the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How many of you know that? Don't you love God being your shepherd? Uh, I also love the end of Psalm 23. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that part. I love the Lord is my shepherd, and I love the fact that he anoints my head with oil. There's one part of Psalm 23 that I don't, I'm not so crazy about. It's right in the center. Do you know how it goes? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As I have uh, been in relationship with Pastor Duane, I felt the need to kind of just 
let you guys know that as a church, you've been through an awful lot. You already know that. In the years that I have been doing capital campaigns, uh, I don't remember or recall a time when I've been part of a church that's had so much loss. When Pastor Dwayne and I first started, he shared with me just as we began the process of a, of a tragic death right here in your church that affected many of you, infected all of you right here in this church. And it wasn't very long after that that there was another death that affected all of you here in this church. And then it wasn't very long after that that Pastor Dwayne's father passed away and there were other deaths in between that. And I kept thinking to myself, how much more can this church bear? Now you're starting a capital campaign and a building project. Can I just speak very openly as a pastor? You guys have been through a lot. But not only have you been through a lot, so has your shepherd. He has been in this church for 24 years, and he has shepherded it through to this point. But there is more that still has to be done. And last yesterday, as we were talking at breakfast, I said, man, how are you bearing the weight of this on your shoulders? Because I gotta tell you right now, he's gotta stand up here Sunday after Sunday, and he's gotta lead this group of people that he passionately loves through a project over here. And the, the weight of that is enormous. And I can only say that from one who understands that. That his heart grieves too over those deaths. And yet when he walks out of his office, he has to stand up here and he has to shepherd you. So I say, who shepherds the shepherd? Who pastors the pastor? Marilyn, if you're going to make it through this, you need to be lifting your leader up every single day in prayer. You need to be guiding him before the throne room of grace. You need to be saying, Father, would you guide our pastor and lead him and be praying like you have never prayed before for this man because you have a phenomenal pastor right here in Duane. And this is not something I expected to say this morning, but I just want you to know you have a great pastor and you already know that, don't you? You have a great pastor. But he needs your prayers. It's a challenging season because in the midst of this, there's the worries, what if we don't get enough? What if this doesn't happen? What if, what, what if this? And all of a sudden we begin to, to go off our past and yet our present is before us and, and there's so many unknowns in this process. But it's not about us. It's about God. The Bible says in James, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Fairlawn, God has tested you. God has tested you through this process, and there has been pain in this church, and you need to acknowledge that pain and go through that pain, but you also have a bright future. Which leads me to my last point. And it's the most important point of this message today. Something that I want you to take home is this. God really does the work. It's not about you. God really does the work. It's not about you. Would you say that with me this morning? It's up on the screen. God really does the work. 
It's not about you. If your building is going to be built, it's because of God. If more children are going to come to know uh, Christ here in this church, it's because of God. It's not because of your work, it's because of God's work. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7, it says, The one who does the planting or the watering aren't important, but God is important because he is the one who makes the seed grow. 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay any other foundation than the one we have already laid, which is Jesus Christ. You need to be preaching Jesus and Jesus alone. When the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, as they came through the wilderness and into the promised land, God gave them a festival of Passover, the sacrifice of the firstborn son. All along the way, God had them do altars so that they would be places of remembrance. In Exodus 13, verse 14, uh, uh, God is telling Moses, And in the future your children will ask, What does all this mean? And then you will tell them, With the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt to a place of slavery. Uh, back when I was pastoring Eastside, uh, we had the privilege of, of owning some hotels. And, and uh, my wife and I have always been faithful in our giving. My daughter was about six or seven years old, and we had written our tithe check out, and it was sitting on my office desk. My daughter walked in and saw that tithe check, and when she looked at that tithe check, she looked at me and she said, Dad, that's a lot of money. She just had the concept of what money was and realized that that was a lot of money. And she said, Dad, you're giving that money to the church? And I said, sweetheart, that money's not mine. That money belongs to God. And she said, that's so much money we could go to Disneyland. And I said, yeah, we could, we could go to Disneyland. And then she looked at me and she said, but dad, I don't understand why you would give that money to the church. And I said, sweetheart, that wasn't my money. That's God's money. And sweetheart, what you don't understand is that one day I was a 13-year-old boy, a 12-year-old boy, and I, I was in a home in Coolidge, Arizona, with a father with a revolver next to his mother's head. And, and, and I didn't know whether my mom, your grandmother, would be alive the next day. But one day, a little lady came into my life, and she was 76 years old, and she shared the gospel with me. And sweetheart, you don't have a mom and dad that raised you that way. You, you don't Once I was lost, but now I'm, I, I've been found. And sweetheart, you, you have a completely different life because Jesus came into my life. And because Jesus came into my life and Jesus redeemed me, this is the least that we can do because of a God who saved us and a God who has given us so much. And over the course of the years, my daughter has watched as our family has moved in ministry and she's seen us in ministry and she's seen people come to know, the Christ, come to know Christ. And I say, this is because of God. Fairlawn, when this is done, when your project is built, it's not because of anything that you did. It's because you serve a great God. Remember, it is God that does the work. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Ephesians says this, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we may ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And today you have the chance to build something that 40, 50, 60 years from now people will still be coming to a saving faith in Christ 
here at Fairlawn Mennonite Church. God bless you, Pastor Dwayne.